0: kia ora, i'm sharon britt kelly and today on the detail
1: lobbying it said is the art of convincing someone to do what you want and make them believe it's the right thing and infrastructure reform has sparked a lobbying frenzy in washington that revolving door that is washington in which members of government take jobs as lobbyists is epitomized on k street just a few blocks from the White House.
0: Well, we have no such thing as K Street in Wellington, but that doesn't mean we don't have a powerful lobby industry. It's just that most of us know nothing about it, who the lobbyists are, or who they work for, and yet...
1: They know all the people, and they know all the numbers, and they can pull every lever going. You know, it's weapons-grade stuff.
0: But hang on, it's not illegal, so aren't they simply doing the job because they know how?
1: For many people outside of the political bubble, the way government works can be a bit of a mystery. And so by bringing people into the process uh, who have worked in those roles before, um, they feel that they are better able to uh, you know, to input into the decision-making process. Well, let's
0: get a better look inside that bubble and the work of the lobbyists with RNZ investigative journalist Guyon Espinosa now.
1: This has been something that I have been wanting to work on for a long time actually and, and never have and I regret not doing it earlier um, to, to some degree and you know I think um, for those of us who've worked in the, in the press gallery at Parliament um, we are living, breathing, walking swimming in that exact environment all the time and you know I have to, to, to take the shot myself, probably why I didn't do it earlier. Never really thought to do it. And I think this is one of the things with a, a series like this is, and I love this in journalism, where you look for what's in plain sight. A Washington Press Corps has this great saying that don't look for what's illegal, look at what is legal, because that's the standard that society is prepared to accept. And so that kind of met that criteria for me. And I thought, wow, oh, why not? Let's have a look.
0: How visible are they? When you're a political journalist, when you're in in the gallery, how visible are the lobbyists?
1: Well, one of the things that we've discovered in this series, and, and I knew about it, but I don't think a lot of the public did, is that many of them literally have a free pass to wander the corridors of power. Not just metaphorically, they have a, a, a security pass, which means they don't need to go through security. Really? Yep. How do they all, get that? Okay, it's a good question, and it's very easy. All you need is a sponsor, an MP to sponsor you, just to say, yes, Sharon Brick-Kelly is, um, is allowed to be a frequent visitor to, par- to Parliament, and they can go in to, in, into Parliament without passing security. Now they call it a frequent visitor list and you can actually see it if you know where to look on the uh, parliamentary website. The Speaker ultimately approves these people but all they need is to be sponsored by an MP to get that access. And most of them are lobbyists and many of them are mentioned in my story uh, today. So when you ask how visible they are, (laughs) they were hanging around quite a bit when I was there. It's been 10 years now since I was at Parliament but that that, that stuff hasn't changed. I mean, um, that's where they do their bread and butter work.
0: When you say... Hanging around. What what does that even mean? I mean that's probably something that you take for granted because you can visualize them hanging
1: around. Well but... I remember them coming down the press gallery when I was there and, and talking to journalists and, and hanging out in Copperfields Cafe and that sort of thing.
0: Is it so that they get a chance maybe to talk to a minister or, yeah, or the yeah? Closest? I guess
1: I guess so. I mean that's the the proximity is um is there and you know that face time and those connections and maybe a yeah, serendipitous catch up.
0: What exactly is a lobbyist?
1: Well, it's a good question too. And we don't answer that in New Zealand. So the OECD's done a report into this, right, in 2021, uh, looking at about 41 different countries. And they say step one is what is lobbying? Have a definition of lobbying. And if you go to the Australian regime, which is run by the Attorney General there, th- they lay out what lobbying is and what it isn't. And so that's the, the starting point that we don't really have in New Zealand. Some, some people um, in this industry were critical of me uh, today and have been getting a few messages saying oh this wasn't lobbying this was PR or we don't do lobbying <laughs> we do comms. Well okay but we need, we need to do step one which is to, to define what lobbying is and th- that's because it's utterly unregulated in New Zealand which to me is pretty extraordinary. We don't, given their proximity to power and their influence on power and the amount of money changing hands, much of which is taxpayers' money, isn't it extraordinary that we don't regulate it? I mean, if you're a real estate agent, you have to be regulated. Mm. You're on a register and stuff. Lawyers, I can look up any lawyer and see if someone so has been struck off, whatever it is. These people are in ministers' phones on text messages. They're in their offices. They're in the bars talking to people. They have a considerable scope and, and sphere of influence on real really important decisions, and yet we've got no idea what who their client base is and no idea um, who they're actually working for.
0: You, you mentioned Australia, and I had a little look before. I mean, Australia has a, a lobbying code of conduct. And you have to register as a lobbyist. And, yeah, it's got very clear guidelines, as you yes, say. It, yes, it
1: does. And and it's actually unlawful or illegal to actually uh, engage with a lobbyist if you're a government official. If they're not signed up for that, if they're not a registered lobbyist. And one of the ironies that I discovered when I looked at this, right, is, is some New Zealand companies are big enough to have lobbyists in Australia. So in New Zealand, for example... And I can type into the public register, and you can do it now too, if you, you, you pull up the, the, the website, a- and see who is lobbying for Air New Zealand in Australia, but really? not here. I, can't, I don't know who's lobbying for Air New Zealand. If they're listening, they can, they can tell me. <laughs> I, I don't know. And one of the other reasons is because a lot of these people are in the media all the time, and we at RN, RNZ... We use these people too. And oh. a lot of them are good people and they're very bright. But the problem is, and uh, you know, I'm getting into my perspective to a degree here, is that we don't know who their clients are. And and when you look at the stuff that, that I've discovered under the OAA process, and it's been quite hard to find, um, we're starting to find out who their clients are. And that's material. People, I think, need to know that.
0: Well, I was going to bring that up because, you know, there are some very high-profile lobbyists and ones that we do here... On the radio, or read read in the news. I mean, would you would you still call Matthew Hooten a, a
1: lobbyist? I think he'd call himself a lobbyist. Yeah, I think he would. And, I, and no, look I think at he him. Would. Yeah, that's Extremely right. Extremely There's powerful. some disclosure in the Herald, isn't there, about how he works for for Wayne Brown, um, and and you do hear um, even on nine to noon. I'll hear the the, the Commentators sometimes, some of whom are lobbyists mm. and would call themselves as such, and just are mm. say, "Oh, well, I've got a client in this space." Well, yeah, but which who is it, and which side of the which side of the argument are they on? And I think we are outliers in this respect because it's all about transparency, right? I've got my hang-ups and, and, and interests, right? I've done a lot of work recently on alcohol, and so the story today was looked at lobbying in the alcohol industry. And some people might go, "Oh, yeah, but Espen is a bit; he's got he's on his high horse about alcohol." At the moment, and, and that's fair, mm. but they know though, don't they? Because it's all out there, yeah. So, the, the ultimate bottom line for me is transparency.
0: A- and just getting back to that, for example, Neil Jones, who's a regular on 9 to Noon as a commentator, and we don't necessarily want to pick on anybody, no. but you have been able to get quite a bit of information about him. The company that, that he is a partner in, the clients include Google and Mega, yeah, Coms them. Very powerful companies. And it does feel, it's kind of fascinating to me because these people are very interesting to listen to because they have amazing insight. But of course, they're only telling you on on air a fraction of what they actually know. And then there's this other weird side of their business where they've got all these insights into these big international companies, yeah. which they would never reveal on
1: air. A- and lobbying for Merck Sharp and Dome, which is one of the biggest pharma companies uh, in the world, um, and lobbying for the New Zealand branch of, of that. Again, it's about transparency. Um, I- I'm not um, casting doubt on the integrity or likability of these people. I know many of them, uh, you know, because I've spent a lot of years in this space. Um, so it- it's not a personal criticism of them. My belief is that the public... It deserves to know, and then they can make their mind up. I don't think it's good enough that we can say, oh, well, I trust you because you're probably a good guy. <laughs> mm. yeah, that's fine, but um, I think we need that level of transparency, all of which would be... Um, available? if we had a regime similar to the Australian one where you can figure out who who the lobbyist is?
0: I'm just trying to get an, an idea of what is their role? I mean, effectively they are people who've got really good contacts, aren't they? Because they might oh, have yeah. worked in the Prime Minister's office or have been an MP or a minister, okay. Clayton Cosgrove. Well, well, let's
1: just take an example. And Clayton Cosgrove's one. Chris Farfoy's another. Chris Farfoy sat around the Cabinet table for many years and while well, doing so, you know, of course, gained access to some of the most confidential information in politics. In New Zealand, there's no revolving door policy, right? So no cool off limits. In Canada, it's five years. In, in Australia, it's 18 months. Many countries have a couple of years. So that you can't go straight from a top government position to a lobbying firm. And in a lot of countries, that includes uh, public servants, too and members of the Defence Force are above a certain level, say, Colonel. So you imagine you're a Cabinet Minister, you know every person's position around the top 20 decision-makers in New Zealand, you know their vulnerabilities, you know what they like, you know what legislation they, they like, where, where they might be amenable to shifts or changes, and you're able to take that straight into a commercial sphere and, and leverage that. And he can now go and immediately use that for private clients in a way that I think is totally inappropriate um, could give those clients a huge, completely unfair advantage over others, and is is turning confidential public information to the private uh, to a private interest. You also discover in these um, documents, and there are literally thousands of communications. So there's a lot of trawling through this stuff. Mm the level of closeness and intimacy between some of these people. you know, you We've got text messages where a lobbyist for the alcohol industry is able to text the Justice Minister saying, oh yeah, but I think this, that, the next thing. I, I don't know that we realise that public policy is being influenced in that way, and this idea that the government has tried to um, sell, that oh look, this is a waste of money anyway, because any New Zealander, you hear them say it, Hipkins and Adurn before him, were saying oh look, any Kiwi can make a submission to the select committee or something. Come on. Not every New Zealander has a cabinet minister's cell phone and is able mm. to text him and get a response. So, frankly, that's crap.
0: Yeah, I, I was really surprised, actually, at the language that y- you know that you were able to dig up, dig up in these conversations, these text messages. I mean, the title of this, this series says it all, Mates, Comrades and Brothers, because, in fact... That's the language that they use, a lobbyist might use, when they're contacting a minister or the the top advisor in a ministry.
1: Yeah, I think that those words say a lot because they tell you how close these relationships are. Uh, hey, comrade, hey, bro, you well, want to catch up for a yarn about gambling? And and uh, that's literally some of the text messages. Sure, mm-hmm. bro, yeah, see you in 10 minutes or whatever. And, and they, they target the advisers. This is the other thing you'll hear from Prime Minister. Oh, well, it's all out in the ministerial diaries. Well, I don't know if you've ever had a look, but they don't tell you much at all. None of this is targeting the advisers. What I found in this investigation was... Lobbyists are very smart they go after the advisors to the degree that they even have drinks for them all they, they invite them out for dinner, they inculcate they have these relationships with them because they know that these people are, are, are good gatekeepers that can kill or a policy or or uh, influence it or allow them to see someone. So often the lobbyists will go "Hey, I've got the uh, Asahi coming over from Sydney uh, catch up for a beer, will you?" And, and then it goes from there who knows what was said at these meetings I mean e- even the information we've got which is a lot, Mm. is a tiny glimpse into how this industry works.
0: Well, you're saying that a lot of it is quite secretive.
1: We got uh, Signal Messages, which is, for people who don't know, it's an app. Signal is a messenger service with a focus on privacy. It's also completely open source, which means anyone can have a look at the code and really see if Signal is as secure as they say it is. The messages are encrypted so that people can't intercept and hack and hack them. I got them, obviously, not encrypted. I got them mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in normal in, English uh, text. Uh, but I was interested, why would you use yeah. that? Because I specifically asked for them. I, I wasn't sure whether I'd get them, but I did remember in my head that um, a pre- previous Prime Minister had said that the OAA was platform neutral. It doesn't matter what you're messaging on, uh, the information's available. I, I use it myself in some investigations because um, if you are really trying to protect a source, but is that the way you're conducting public policy? I'm
0: not sure. Was there a lot of stuff that you were trying to access that you couldn't get? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we still don't know about.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's more stuff that I couldn't get than I did get. One of the funniest ones on that is um, foreign affairs and trade. In in countries like America and Australia and parts of the EU, they have a, another layer of security about people who are lobbying for foreign interests, for foreign governments, and for big foreign companies. Because you know Huawei and TikTok, in terms of China, there's Security concerns, whether they're valid or not, I don't know, but there certainly are foreign policy issues there. In New Zealand, no problem. You you can lobby for a foreign government, a foreign company if you want. I checked this out with the Speaker. You can still get in if you're sponsored by an MP, no problem. So one of the OAAs, more than 70 of which were lodged, went to MFAT. They turned it down, not because there weren't any communications, but that there were too many. (laughs) So they had 4,700 documents.
0: Wow. from their
1: engagement with lobbyists you've probably been through this as a journalist you've got to refine your OAA request down and make it more narrow, we did all that, they still refused to give it to us on the grounds that it would take too much work, so I've got no idea um, about who's lobbying for foreign countries, we've got some slivers of stuff from um, Nanaimahuta's office, but exactly what the degree of it all, I don't know.
0: So the likes of TikTok and Huawei, do we know who lobbies for them in New Zealand?
1: I think we do actually and to, to, to be fair to some of the lobbying firms do put their clients on, on, on their websites. There are a couple um, that come to mind, Sherson Willis do, Mark Unsworth of Saunders Unsworth, they largely put their clients, I don't know that it's all of them but they put many of them up there.
0: What do they want their lobbyists to do?
1: Find out what's coming up, some, sometimes it's, hey, when's such and such a paper going to Cabinet, uh, what the government's planning to do. And then when they know that, they want to try and shape that and bend the ear of the minister, um, set up meetings for their executives uh, to bend their ears. But, again, we're only getting that, that the stuff that someone had decided to commit to paper, right, or to, uh, to script, and, and so is potentially IA-able. And, obviously, too, this is only, I only got the nexus or confluence between lobbying and the public sector. So the private sector stuff, obviously, I, I can't touch it because it's not OIA-able. I mean, we've to gain uh, across a, a lot of the corporates like the Googles and stuff because these people were lo- uh, talking to public officials about those mm-hmm. those clients.
0: Do you know how much money is changing hands for all of this kind of work?
1: Well, we do to some degree because we got invoices in this OIA material. Some released it, some said it was commercially sensitive. We know for example that Landcorp paid $1,000 for a book with pr- profiles of MPs and their personal lives and their work lives and, and, and whatever, political intelligence if you like. Um, we know that Transpower agreed to pay a retainer of about $50,000 a year uh, to one of the big lobbying firms. We know that the universities are spending hundreds of, 000, uh, hundreds of thousands on on lobbying Firms, but why? Well, for things like uh, lobbying them for government policy. One of the universities wanted a a marine sanctuary status reserve, and this didn't make the cut in the stories. But it's one of the one of the examples. Um, they wanted that rolled back so they could set up some marine lab type facility, and the government didn't want to do it. And and the university brought in this lobbying firm to try and. It was unsuccessful in the end. Uh, they didn't change their minds. But I, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting I, um, that that. The university, I had no idea before no. I started this. Universities would be using lobbying firms. I had no idea that TransPower that operates the national grid and faces zero competition would need to engage these kinds of people, especially since these people all have their own corporate um, affairs people. And often the communications between the lobbyists and the corporate affairs people. Quite a lot with Pharmac is like their chief media advisor talking to the lobbyist about what they could do for Sarah Fitt. <laughs> it's just like, how many handlings do you, do you need on this stuff?
0: As the title suggests, and, and as we know, it's, it's a blimmin' small industry. Wellington is a small place, so it feels pretty incestuous
1: which is why I think you, you need the, the, the transparency on it and you know I think we are a bit naive about this in New Zealand we we, we we do think that lobbying is something that happens in Washington and not Wellington and the conversations immediately and the brains immediately flip to America but you know as I say they've got some pretty rigorous laws around this sort of stuff and there seems to be a naivety because we say oh yeah but I, re- I saw my MP at the local supermarket and so they're all sort of accessible but if you really think that that equates to having the same power as a highly paid, highly experienced lobbyist. Many of these people have been Chief of Staff for the Prime Minister. People need to realise how important that job is. John Key once called Wayne Eagleson, who was his Chief of Staff, the most powerful unelected person in New Zealand. These people are gatekeepers to who comes in a, out of the office. They see all the Cabinet papers. They know everything that's going on. They are far more powerful, in, um, in, from my assessment, than a mid-ranking Cabinet Minister. That is a very important job. Why would you employ those people to, to to help your company get a better outcome? Because these people know exactly how the system works, and they know all the people, and they know all the numbers, and they can pull every lever going. They also know all the legislation. They know the trade agreements. They can unpick stuff. It's got it's you know it's weapons grade stuff. There's a story about Chris Hipkins, chief of staff. A- Andrew Gooden has really done a full cycle in the revolving door, a- a- as have um, others. Really. I mean, how very senior positions um, for Labour governments, headed up the trans-Tasman lobbying firm and Actors New Zealand arm a- a- as a lobbyist. And his clients included alcohol companies, big alcohol companies, Lion, Asahi. And then there's a one-day window between resigning from that and becoming the Chief of Staff of the Prime Minister. No one knew that he was lobbying for alcohol companies. Mm. And they've got some big material interests on, on the go. And the government they, has scrapped a number of things that they didn't like. Six weeks after Mr Kirsten started in the Prime Minister's office, the government scrapped the container return scheme. Um, in terms of the decision around the reprioritization, that obviously went through Cabinet more recently, but it was on the list for reprioritization before Andrew Kirsten
0: uh, started working for me.
1: Now again, I can't prove cause and effect between those these things. I'm not even alleging it, but we just need to know who's working for who so we can make up my, our own minds. What's been the response from the Prime Minister's office on this? Well, there were some interesting comments um, I thought from um, Prime Minister Hipkins. He did seem to be saying that the likes of Pharmac and Transpower should think a bit more carefully about whether they need to engage these kinds of people. That was, that was interesting. He said he wouldn't rule out further regulation and greater transparency in the future, which is, I suppose, something, but largely we're getting more of the same, which is, oh, look, New Zealand's corruption-free, we put the diaries out on the websites, and, and look, um, you know, we made sure that he wasn't going to continue working for any of these clients after he took the job, which I, I thought, if you need to spell that out, then there's a bit of an issue.
0: What about the lobbyists? Have, have any of them spoken to well, you? Yeah, a
1: couple of them have. Um, I didn't want to speak to them off the record, because... This is all about the opposite. So yeah. look, most of them were like, oh, mate, uh, let's have a coffee. All right. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. And, I mean, I like these people too. I mean, I, I know a lot of these people. Um,
0: and that must make it – does it make it tricky for oh, you? Oh, yeah, a
1: little bit. And, um, you know, I probably there'll be a few people um, grumbling and furrowing their brows um, possibly listening to this. But, again, it's not about us. And, and, and you know, in the elite – and I would count myself in that because we, we, we've been in the elite. We know how this game works, which is why many of us didn't report on it. Yeah. Yeah, there, there were a couple um, who went on the record. Actually, just two who went on the record, and most of them said that they their excuse or their reason was we can't do it because we're going to breach client confidentiality, and <laughs> that's the problem.
0: What's your sense? Do you think anything is going to change?
1: Well, for, for change to happen in New Zealand, in the New Zealand parliamentary um, context, you need someone... A you, lobbyist. You, you, <laughs> well, yeah, that's right. You need a lobbyist. Um, I was going to say, you need, you know, obviously you need a majority, and you need you need, um, you need people to be interested in the kaupapa that you're going to take forward. The last attempt was 2012... Um, Holly Walker from the Greens and that got, that got booted out, they had a members bill the Greens might be keen I th- National I think um, are wanting to pick around the edges of this, I saw a statement they put out the other day and um, there seems to be some growing support for the revolving door policy to be uh, jammed <laughs> and to, and I think National supports that, that you would have those limits, so you might see um, some, some tidy ups here but it's election year um, you know the, the cost of living will crowd out a lot of things uh, whether whether we do get movement on this we will some at some point we 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 can't drag our heels um, into the future on this much longer I would I I wouldn't have thought so I think we will get some change
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by Flo Wilson. Our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Guyon Espina. Mā te wā.